say this not only as Secretary of Defense, but also as a former soldier and a former member of the National Guard. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. He also called Trump a threat to the Constitution, accusing the president of trying to divide America. Mattis said, quote, Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Gates Sexton. As always, I'm joined by my loyal friend and co-host, Nick Houseman. Um, you know... We, 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 we deal with a lot of serious subjects on, on this show. Uh, we, we try really hard uh, to bring some hope. Um, I, I think we've got some today. It feels like the protests have at least uh, affected the national conversation. Uh, there's a lot of events to go over. Uh, later on in the episode, we'll also be talking about... Um, online extremism and radicalism and the QAnon movement, which I know a lot of people like to make fun of, but we have Mark Andre Argentino, an expert in online extremism and radicalization, uh, here, here to tell us why we need to pay attention to this stuff. But in the meantime, before we get to hope, we talk about uh, progress made. Uh, unfortunately, everyone, we got to talk about Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, who uh, published an op-ed, an indefensible op-ed in the New York Times. The New York Times has now, um, I don't know, imploded, Nick? Uh, has, has pretty much set themselves on fire trying to argue that... Uh, apparently nobody read this op-ed before it came out. For those who are not familiar with it, Cotton, who uh, is a fascist, uh, there's no other word for it, argued for getting troops in the street to put down a rebellion by the American people and more or less said that uh, we should have widespread killing in order to restore law and order. Yeah, so it's another Thursday yeah. or whatever. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the New York Times is sort of roiled in wokeness. It seems like as uh, it's really hard to believe that like the, the all the upper level management people didn't see uh, a, a sitting U.S. senator's op ed that's going to be published. It's not like even a lower sort of maybe a random person in the sphere who has a little influence. And like, oh yeah, we'll just pu- publish his op ed. This is like a you know a real real person here. Um, so either they're lying or it is as as as, um, as failing <laughs> as Trump likes to call it from the New York Times. But uh, I mean, let's get not let's not even uh, ignore the point here, which is that he is advocating for sort of paramilitary, you know, uh, fascistic looking uh, police force stomping down on like the will of the people, which is exactly what we would report from other fascist countries in horror. And here we are. He's advocating for that here. Yeah, Tom Cotton was calling for blood in the streets is what he was calling for. And um, the New York Times, which is the paper of record or one of the papers of record for the United States of America, decided that this was a legitimate argument to put out into the world. Uh, Number one, it was a disgusting uh, lapse in judgment. But number two, I think it showed us something. Um, you know, the New York Times is supposed to be one of the um, one of the arbiters of the national conversation, right? They're the gatekeeper of, of what America is, is talking about. And it exposed some things. Um, first things first, it, it exposed the fact that, and we've talked about it all the time on this podcast, the idea that politics in America is not left and right, 
right? It's it's actually more center to again full blown fascist. Uh, the New York Times, uh, you know, thankfully highlighted it by spotlighting a fascist, um, as they have in the past. I mean, they gave Adolf Hitler more than enough copy and time, uh, but it also showed that. The New York Times, which is not concerned with every opinion, they talk like anybody can get an op-ed in there. And and I'm somebody who's gotten two op-eds in the New York Times, and I was lucky to have that and lucky to have that platform. But this is a sitting U.S. senator. And what they did by spotlighting this is they showed that the wealthy and powerful in the United States of America are, and this, this is a little bit of your hope, people, they're very nervous about what's going on in this country. And they are having an internal argument about whether or not they should go full-blown fascist in order to maintain their power and their wealth. That's what's happening, and that's what this op-ed exposed. Okay. Now, the other thing that's going on behind the scenes here is that we've already are well familiar with people who want to use the op-ed as a way to apply for a job in the government, which when William Barr did it uh, to weigh in on the Mueller report, he was then installed as the AG. Uh, it, this reeks of him uh, wanting to be installed as the Secretary of Defense. Uh, considering the fact that Mark Esper then comes out today and basically throws the president under the bus and sort of said, I didn't know anything about what was going on uh, clearing the Lafayette Park to get him to walk over for a photo op in front of the church. So, which uh, was a lie. Th- which which, was, which a lie. was a lie. Right. And also, we, we can't forget that this person, and the Secretary of Defense should have nothing to do with all of this at all. This, if, if you're going to say that it's a danger, it should be the Homeland Security Secretary. But also, real fast, let's not forget that it's this worm, Mark Esper, who called out to dominate the battle space or an American city. I just, I just want to get that on the record because we don't want to let this guy get away with this. No. So, you know, so he went from, you know, probably Trump's, you know, favorite hard on uh, on that call to the governors to then now distancing himself, actually doing what he's supposed to sound like in the beginning. And that does, never goes over well with this president. So and we I think we've understood is in the past that in the last, you know, several months, Esper has been on his way out anyway. So this is what it reeks like to me. Now, there's apparently a legal uh, there's something called a law or whatever what are laws what are days what are laws you know but there's something about it, like the thing we have these called laws that would supposedly prevent that from happening that cotton could be installed as a secretary of defense but you know what it doesn't seem to matter to this administration anyway so they would probably i mean you know having him the acting secretary who knows what because he's confirmed already as a senator i don't even know how that would not work or work but nonetheless that's what it reeks of to me as well um although it's interesting because if you're looking at the numbers um this is a sinking ship any appointment you get now ain't gonna last beyond you know january of 2021 in theory uh unless they know something that we don't well we had a we had a development uh this evening before we started taping where uh donald trump shared a letter on Twitter uh, from John Dowd, everyone's crazy uncle. Uh, Wait, who... I use the word ogre, and I think after Shrek, oh. ogre is not the word it needs to mean anymore, it's, does it? It's not going to It's not gonna get it done anymore. Uh, John, John Dowd, who... Uh, uh, to say that the letter was racist and bigoted uh, and nearsighted is, is to be kind, first of all. Um, second of all... Uh, Trump quoted him 
in this letter as saying that the protesters weren't real, which, by the way, Nick, I mean, you know, it's George Soros paying everybody in America who dislikes Trump, which means the majority of America, the broad majority of America is apparently on George Soros's uh, payroll. He's waiting for my check. Uh, which is which is as anti-Semitic and disgusting as it gets. Um said that the protesters weren't real, they were not peaceful, and that they were terrorists. And for anybody who has actually paid attention to Donald Trump's political life, um, one of his favorite applause lines, and this is about Tom Cotton, this is Ted Cruz as well, that all terrorists should be killed, all of their families should be killed, Trump bringing up General Pershing multiple times, talking about how terrorists should be lined up and shot in the back of the head without a trial, war crimes, murder, execution. Meanwhile, um, everybody knows this. Lately, it's it's been a lot of talk about no quarter given from somebody like Tom Cotton, who is auditioning for either Secretary of Defense so he can bomb every country in the world and start World War III, which he'd be thrilled about, or to maybe be the next fully fascist and openly fascist fascist president of the United States. Well, um, well, I feel like we have to parse this a little bit, because we all know, and that's what they're saying, they're saying not all of the protesters are terrorists, just the dark ones, right? I'm sure it's oh, just God. those are the ones who are the terrorists here. Um, that's... The, and it's also so petty, because in the background of what this letter is responding to is what Jim Mattis said, which... Is a you know coming from you know a general who was working in the um, the cabinet with the president um, and who has probably been accused of being a coward for not speaking up earlier when he resigned. Uh, for him to say what he said it w- was actually pretty impressive, and there some folks seem to think that that might you know sw- stem the tide or turn the tide, whatever the word is, the phrase, uh, and, and cause more re- Republicans to sort of at least stop in their tracks for a minute before you know following trump so we've got a growing audience so for people who are listening to this for like the first or second time we just want everyone to know that we do not just give all these people a free pass for what they have done uh mattis should have spoken up loudly and earlier at multiple occasions um, and was instrumental in so many of the cruelties and crimes of the trump administration Uh, i'm glad he spoke up And for anybody who hasn't read his statement, he said that Trump is a danger to the Constitution. And somebody like Mattis, for him to do this, he he compared this to uh, the Nazi regime, uh, which is not something someone like him uh, does lightly. Um, One and and, you know we we were talking about this earlier. There 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 are all kinds of memos going around from like the Joint Chiefs of Staff telling military members and service people um, to obey the Constitution. Obviously, uh, a nod to the idea that Donald Trump might ask them to uh, declare war on their fellow people. Um, We have a lot of people right now who are discovering consciences that they needed to discover a long time ago, but you're welcome to them, right? Um, This is a growing thing, and and, and this is what I want to say, and this is unfortunate and, and, and true. Trump is scared. Like, he's terrified right now. It's not just hiding in a bunker and being exposed as a coward. Um, the, he's growing more erratic by the day, which, I mean, saying that out loud is just terrifying, right? The idea that he is. But the jig is up on these people. The, the conversation in this country has changed. We're seeing people talk about Black Lives Matter and reforming law enforcement in this country. People I never would have expected. And, and, and it's obvious that most of the country has seen the murder of George Floyd as something that's inexcusable and that there has to be reform and there has to be some sort of, uh, of addressing of issues. And it is obvious that Trump is on the losing side of this thing. 
and people like Tom Cotton are on the losing side of this thing. And the more that they're calling for death and destruction and blood in the streets, the more it's obvious that they're scared. And people need to understand that because these people were fascists before this moment. It just so happens that fascists, when they see their power slipping, the mask starts to slip. They grow desperate. And so this is a moment of danger, but it is a moment of hope. And people need to understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's revealing. Um, and remember, it's not just because you could say, all right, he's afraid of losing the election, right? Uh, people lose the election. People are only one-term president. It's not the end of the world. But again, what I can, can always come back to is that his primary motivation for getting reelected is to po- at least postpone him going to prison. And he knows this. And that's, that's an, a huge reason why he feels he needs to, uh, to get elected. I, without, I, I feel like without question. And, to, you know, give him four more years and then we're really going to be in trouble. He'll then, without having the fear of another election to run for uh, after 2020, uh, will then be able to completely put into place what he's been trying to do uh, and overcome the obstacles he's had. By the way, um, you know, as these people are peeling off, they were asking for responses from senators about Mattis's letter. And it was just cowardly response after cowardly. I have a lunch to get to all that bullshit. But Lisa Murkowski actually did uh, acknowledge that what he said was the truth and that was things that were needed to be said. Did you happen to see Trump's tweet that happened 20 minutes ago? Yeah, he's going to be in Alaska two years from now going after her. Yeah, he's already uh, trying to get her out uh, as as it is uh, for all the, for her record. Um, you know, I, I wish he would do that with Susan Collins too while he's at it because it seems to me that a Democrat would be able to take that seat pretty easily. Um, and so uh, it's it's uh, that's just more just desperation uh, of, of anything. Can we talk a quick for a second about the crowds though? Because I do feel like I don't want to gloss over that, and I think that's that's sort of the what's going on behind the scenes here. Uh, this, the whole thing about Antifa you know, is interesting to me because it's the only thing that they're going to reference when they're talking about terrorists, right? They're talking about the problems with these crowds and the protests and why they need paramilitary troopers coming in and, and dominating the space is, you know... And, and by the way, maybe the possibility that they're hiring mercenaries because these people will not reveal themselves. There are rumors flying that Eric Prince and Blackwater have been hired to declare war on the American people. Just just want to just want to float that for people to understand that that is something that people are right now very concerned about. But yes. Yes. And, and part of that whole deal is when you see these guys armed to the hilt and they look like, you know, they're in the, some sort of military service. They won't tell you where they're from. Like the, uh, there were reporters who were asking and all they would say was we're from the Department of Justice. And there are some notions that they're from the Department of uh, Corrections or from, you know, the prisons. But I don't know. Uh, it's it's as nebulous. And again, we can get into Barr in a minute, too, about how what he represents in all of this. But Antifa, what's interesting to me, what, what doesn't ring true uh, during this whole course of the rioting, the looting, was that they were going to blame Antifa on the looting because that's never really been their M.O. Their M.O. is to dox, you know, white uh, supremacists and, and out them wherever they might be. They're, all there, they're also there to harass people who are marching uh, for white supremacy and all these horrible things that they, they feel like they're under their First Amendment rights they're allowed to do. So I've seen that, but I've never seen any notion of Antifa like looting stores and making this about like, you know, uh, benefiting themselves uh, monetarily. So this is all ringing very hollow to me uh, when they're using them as a sca- scapegoat. And I want to make sure that people understand the historical context of that. Well, there, there, there's no such thing as Antifa, first of all. It is a philosophy and a state of mind. Uh, there are people who have identified themselves as being Antifa and loosely grouped uh, uh, 
organizations, but they're not, it's not actually anything besides anyone who criticizes Donald Trump, who he now has declared terrorist and, you know, has, has said that he's more than happy to kill them and execute them. Um, you know, there's a possibility that anarchists are doing this, that they, I'm sure that they are out there in the world, and I'm sure there are people out there committing crimes. Uh, and meanwhile, by the way, I'm glad that this got brought up. Uh, in our emergency message uh, last week, we talked about white supremacists working behind the scenes to escalate this stuff. Uh, Nevada just pros- or is prosecuting three white supremacists who were caught dead to rights doing this. Meanwhile, reports keep rolling in that there are teams of two to four of these people out there, you know, sowing chaos. chaos. Who has any idea what's going on? I, I, I want to throw, I, I throw this out there because I think this is important. And this is something that is... Um, for lack of a better phrase, it's 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 really pissing me off, and it's really frustrating me. Um, it's not just about uh, it's not just about marching out there peacefully, right? Uh, and and in one hand, I, I think people talk about the idea that looting or destruction somehow or another disqualifies what people are doing. But I think that there is an alternate narrative going on here, and and unfortunately, this is something that our news media has pushed. Um, and, and, and by the way, let's, let's just put it where it's at. And we talk about hard truths on this podcast. Um, you know, CNN and MSNBC, uh, sure. In, in, in their focus and the way they present news, you could say that they're center left or left, whatever you want to say, but they're also corporate owned news, right? This is, um, they, they favor sort of the, the economic order that we're in. They will occasionally give you liberal viewpoints, um, they are covering this thing as if the only focus is to make sure that George Floyd's killers are prosecuted. That's not what's happening. I was watching a little bit earlier, and, and unfortunately, they have stopped going into the crowds. I, I, I was talking about this on Twitter the other day. When it started, they were in the crowds constantly, talking to people, what's going on. And everybody said, we want wide systemic reform and change. I just watched it a little bit ago, and they grabbed a guy, and they were like, uh, does it end if these people get prosecuted? And he goes, no, this is about 400 years of white supremacy and racism. The, people want big giant systemic change it's not just enough to go into your cable news studios and talk in front of b-roll footage of drone footage of of the crowds and have the same stale old opinions people aren't out there for just like one thing right they're not out there just for like punitive damages like this is about a big giant reckoning with america's issues and i think i think people are failing to understand that and grasp that and that's that's really unfortunate well, here is one of the things is that um, I can almost understand why they don't want to send their reporters out in the field anymore because we keep seeing re- reporters arrested and attacked. And- hold on, hold on. I'll do it. Okay. There's plenty of people. There's plenty of people like me that aren't welcome on cable news because we don't toe the same lines that these people do. I'll do it for free. Get get me so I'll I'll take a camera out there. I'll do it myself, and I'll tell you what I know. Another couple of dozen people who are more than willing to get out there and do it for free. Right. That's the I, I agree with what you're saying that it is dangerous out there. But as somebody who's reported from riots and somebody who knows a bunch of other people have reported from riots, people think it's important and it's historic, and they should go out and do it. I understand what you're saying. Like right. it is dangerous, and 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 maybe people should. Well, people shouldn't have to go out and take risks that they don't want. But there is an entire generation of people who believe in this stuff and are more than willing to get out there and put our skin on the line. You know, I know, and I would, I would at least be protesting right now if I wasn't just afraid of COVID nineteen. I really, that's that's my big issue right now with all these crowds, and we don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks of what the you know the testing is going to look like or you know cases. But um, it's going to spike. 
the other thing, I, I mean, it seems like there's no other way around it, and because it's they're so t- uh, tightly packed together, not not a lot of masks and stuff. But the other thing that uh, we I've been seeing a lot of also, which would give anybody pause, but it's and which isn't necessarily it's these these protests are growing. And so we need to talk a little bit about what this is about because the Venn diagram is starting to uh, overlap with a couple different other circles. There's no question that the Trump administration is another object of ire for a lot of people yes. who are protesting, particularly because he is stoking this. When you have – there's a, an account uh, of a guy named T. Greg um, – oh, he changed his, uh, his name. T. Greg, uh, credulous propagandist uh, uh, Doucette. And he has literally uh, created a thread of over 150 uh, videos of just regular people getting roughed up by the police. And without, without instigating, without doing the things that Trump is sort of dog whistling about. That is so concerning to me that, they're, that the, the training of the police, I guess, clearly is mandating that they behave this way. It just needs to be completely torn down and retrained from the bottom up. Yeah, so this guy's account, and, and again, I'm glad you, you brought this up. It is Greg Doucette. Um, it's G-R-E-G underscore D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. Um, and, and that account has been keeping incredible track. I mean, we're watching people getting beaten left and right. They're getting trampled by horses. The cops are like driving through crowds and opening their doors to, to hurt people. I mean, it, it, the, the actual truth on the ground is really ugly. And for us to, and and the unfortunate truth of all of this is that the way that the cable news and and sort of publications treat this is, it's like a story, right? All of this stuff is like a narrative. It has a beginning and an end. And if you've ever watched CNN after a national tragedy, you know the narrative, right? It's the day after the mass shooting. They come to town and everybody's shocked. We never thought it could happen here. You talk to a few people and then for a couple of days there's a vigil and then maybe the president, if he's not a giant piece of shit, comes to town and, you know, makes people feel better. And then there's like one more day and then they go on to the next shooting. This doesn't fit that. What is it? Day eight? Is that right? Okay. Oh Yeah, it started last Friday or last Thursday. So yeah, it's at least a week. It's day eight, and today was the memorial service for George Floyd. And you, you, if you watched any of this, it's obvious that they're treating it like all of these other narratives. And actually, in the research for my new book, I found that this coverage started with the Oklahoma City bombing. That's where they learned to, to cover national tragedies. This thing's not just a national tragedy. It's a national tragedy turning into a national movement. And, and not just national. We've talked about it. They're all over the world. People all over the world are showing solidarity for what is happening in America. Um, There's all these incidents that are taking place on the street level constantly. People have been been killed in this thing. Um, There was a video of a guy who got his skull fractured, and as his friends were trying to carry him off, they begged the police to stop, and they shot them with rubber bullets. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it is an honest-to-God ongoing crisis. And like you said, the president is just stoking this thing and making it worse, and it's not going to go away because these people actually want real an enduring systemic change. So we can't treat this like it's like every other spectacle. It's just not. I know, especially because, um, you know, in the face of this, 
we keep seeing more and more people coming out. That's actually what's encouraging to me. So what I have been saying since November was that only, the only thing that would make me feel even halfway okay about November and Trump losing would be a million-person march on the mall to the White House in, in solidarity. And you know what? I think we're, we're They're kind trying of, for it. What's that? They're trying for it on Saturday. Oh, they are? That's the word on the street is they're trying for a million person march in Washington. I should get in my Saturday. car right now uh, because that's what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and that, again, this is again, this is folding over into, um, you know, and, and here's what's interesting. Trump is now, you know, trying to evoke Nixon with this law and order, all caps tweets. And he's doing it on purpose. We know that someone is, I don't think he's got the mental capacity to handle history studying, but he understands he lived through it. Um, this isn't really what he represents as far as what we're coming to in November. He is much more like LBJ because LBJ was already in the office like him for four years overseeing all this tumultuousness. And so he's trying to paint himself like Nixon kind of sweeping in, whatever, but it's under his watch as it is. So there's no question this has now morphed from, and for, certainly we need a, a national movement, an international movement to stop police brutality and, what's, and also just the in, inherent racism that ex- exists in the policing itself. But this is clearly morphing into a political statement against the administration. And Trump is too stupid to understand that he is not helping this. He's just giving more and more people more reasons to go out there and continue to protest. And that actually is giving me a lot of hope because rather than dwindling numbers because of the fear of all these things, there's, it's, it's growing. It's, it's really incredible. I'll, I'll, I'll just say it again. Fascists are scared. They really are. Like this is the moment. And by the way, we, we've talked about it on this podcast already with these, with these protests. It's sort of a perfect storm of things. It is a senseless, indefensible tragedy at a time of societal and political crisis, right? It, all of it has come together to create a moment of, of moral clarity. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and Donald Trump, because he recognizes that, can't help but be terrified. And all of these things that he's been doing, and by the way, all day he's been signaling to white identity evangelicals, the cult of the Shining City people. Uh, he's been doing this thing over and over and over again and, and pushing this idea of killing protesters. I mean, that's the thing is like he's doing this to try and dissuade people from showing up. He wants to make people think that if they show up that they might be killed. And it's a it's a gambit. And God knows what happens if people don't listen to him. You know, and if they, they like if he gets humiliated and he gets completely shown up like he keeps getting shown up and humiliated, who knows what's going to happen. But again, and, and we try our best to, to talk about things in a serious manner, but also give you a, a little piece of something. They're scared, man. They know that this is bigger than them and they know that they are in trouble. And when fascists are in trouble, that's when they slip the mask and they show themselves as fascist. And that's what's happening right now, right here. They're showing themselves for who they are. And if people think that you're alarmist or you know, still don't want to believe it, look what they did at the border. They intentionally made the situation so horrible there. Yep. Is there some way to dissuade people from coming to this country? And it's the same thing he's doing now with trying to dissuade people from, from protesting. It's not working. 
And he doesn't have the capacity to, to have self-reflection and pivot and figure out a different way to do this. I mean, it's, it's studied, like, scientifically, they know that once you even, the show of force with the, the, um, the, the, the paramilitary garb that these guys put on and that kind of intimidation never works. It doesn't work. It actually just provokes all of the, the things that they're trying to put down. And so that, if they were to understand that and let the cops, you know, the, the ones where they see the cops marching with these protesters are the ones, are the protests that really work, that really uh, function properly. And especially because, you know, you keep seeing people saying, well, they were out past curfew, like as if they deserve it. And I still can't wrap my head around anybody that would argue that they deserve to get the shit kicked out of them for being out past curfew. Right. That is really what I don't understand. If you want to arrest them, uh, they must have ways where you can train this so they, to the, to they can approach them and do this in a way where they can either either arrest them or they kind of have to run and you know, not get arrested, but not to get hit over the head repeatedly with batons and shot with rubber bullets and, and it, to horrible consequences. That is what I don't get why peaceful protesting, you know, to make their point has to turn violent. Or maybe they can be stripped of all their military hardware, be defunded so we can pay for education and roads and health care and be turned into members of the community instead of oppressors and an occupying army. I mean, there are ways to do this thing. I I just want to point out, I, I thought you said an interesting thing. The clothes that they wear, the things that they do. They all clad themselves in black. They wear the Punisher skull. They've got all the fascist iconography on their trucks and stuff like that. And and, and this is this is an old tried and true trick of the Nazi regime, of the Third Reich. You adorn yourself with death's head and you, you take on the personification of death and fear. Do you know why? Because you're a coward. Because you are a cowardly piece of shit. And here's the thing that we have not done enough of in this country and recognize that fascism is the last bastion of the cowardly and the weak. These people shake in their boots. And the only way that they can overcome their fear is to pretend like they're above fear and to dole out fear, right? You're either the killer or the killed, you know? And and it's to go out there and wage war against the people. And and the, the truth is... You can't buy spine. You can't buy actual courage and human decency. And these people, they're pitiable worms. They are fascist. And and that's the thing. We have to take the sting out of it. And and every time that they go out there, they're beating they're beating women in the streets. They're shoving them over into curbs. They're trampling people with horses. They're cowards. And and they need to be exposed as cowards the same way that the president has been exposed as a coward. Because all of this lashing out and all this violence, it's just cowardom. That's all it is. Yeah, well, thank God we got Lindsey Graham doing a, a, congr- a, senatorial, a Senate committee uh, investigation on uh, Obamagate now. It was really, And he's really mystified as to why he's getting criticized for doing it today and yesterday uh you know thank god we have him around yeah you want to talk about cowards who want to pretend like they're bigger than they are i mean he followed john mccain a warrior around like he was a little chihuahua at his bulldog feet for years i mean they're all cowards that's what the republican party is all about and they've just been shown time and time again to project outward because they are insecure and they hate themselves and they're cowards and they have things in their closet they don't want people to know and it can be blackmailed basically to fall in line so on that note, um, <laughs> we are going to transition to our, my conversation with Mark 
Andre Argentino. We're going to talk about online extremism and radicalism. Uh, he has a message I think you should hear. Um, I, I, I think it's a really, really interesting look at a subgroup in this country uh, that unfortunately is being radicalized and is dangerous and we can't afford to laugh at him anymore. So here is Mark Andre Argentino. Hey, everybody. I uh, have a real treat for you. Uh, we have a great guest lined up, uh, and, and I've been so excited to get a chance to sit down and talk to uh, Mark Andre Argentino. Um, Argentino is a PhD candidate in the Individualized Program at Concordia University, Montreal. His research examines how extremist groups leverage technology to create propaganda, recruit members to ideological causes, inspire acts of violence, and impact democratic institutions. He is an associate fellow at the Global Network on Extremism and Technology and an associate researcher at CEFIR. Um, Marc-Andre, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. Well, um, you, you know, it, it, just the, the introduction should tell everybody what, what this is about. Um, you know, on, on the muckrake, we are really concerned about things that I think a lot of people, um, unfortunately, like to think are not important and, and sort of let slip through the cracks. Um, I was wondering if you could give uh, the listeners a little bit of an introduction. Um, I, I certainly came across uh, your research uh, into a group that I think our listeners might be interested in. Can you can you talk a little bit about what what you're focusing on, what what you're working with? Yeah. So, like you mentioned in the beginning, I'm very interested about the nexus of ideology, technology, and extremism. Um, in that vein, I'm currently researching the conspiracy theory, which is rapidly morphing into an ideology called QAnon, and looking at how this decentralized community can pose threats to various institutions uh, across the world, whether it's national security, public health, or democratic institutions, and getting an idea of the threat they pose and hopefully educate people to start taking these individuals seriously. Okay, so I, I unfortunately I've spent um, a little too much time going down the QAnon rabbit hole to understand the phenomenon. Um, and, and when you really look at I mean, you, you start talking about it and like, the first thing that happens is people start rolling their eyes because you're talking about you're talking about JFK Jr. faking his death. You're talking about time travel. You're talking about, um, uh, you know, worldwide pedophile uh, satanic ritual rings. And, and it's, it, it sounds like madness because it's madness. But can you can you give the, the quickest summary of what QAnon is and maybe what it isn't? Um. So I guess the quickest way to describe QAnon is a movement that probably started as a LARP or a troll online, and it morphed to conspiracy. And it started on you know, the typical introduction. This thing started on 4chan in October 2017, with some individual basically posting, Hillary Clinton will be arrested between 7.45 and a.m. and 8.30 a.m. EST on Monday, October 30th. That obviously didn't happen. And their central tenet of belief that they focus on is that the world is run by a cabal of, you know, satanic child sacrificing elites and they control, you know, all the politicians, the media, Hollywood, you name it. And this would have continued to happen if it wasn't for the election of their messiah, Donald Trump, who is basically aware of this cabal and is working with a group of military intelligence people to let the public know about their fight against the deep state and that they're here to take it away and save the world and bring on some, you know, golden age of living. That's that's the core belief. And it's important to know that this is what would be called um, 
a type of umbrella conspiracy theory where you know you name it it's part of the movement as long as you're not a flat earther they'll take in your conspiracy theories and bring you in and morph that to their belief system so it's really far-reaching all-encompassing and i guess it is important to highlight that it does have a strong nexus especially in the u.s to you know evangelical and neo-charismatic movements and i think that's a key element to keep in mind especially in you know the current environments we're in well, uh, so a, a couple things. One, it, it's like a digital technological age, new world order, totally evolving, bizarre conspiracy theory. For people who aren't aware, 4chan, 8chan, now 8kun are just like digital Wild West boards uh, where it, it's basically like diving into the ugly subconscious of a human. It's really bad. And all of a sudden, one day, one guy shows up. Uh, maybe one guy, we don't even know who this person is, yeah. pretending that they're a high-level military intelligence Trump insider freedom fighter, correct? Correct. And it's important to, to highlight, too, that this is not the first individual that did this on 4chan. There is something called the Anon Jar, where individuals would go to Fort to these like messaging boards and claim to be someone with military intelligence. And even before 4chan, you know, on the bulletin boards of the early 2000s, there's a very famous, you know, internet myth of John Titton, the time traveler who went on. And it, you know, it went on for months. You can lose an months. afternoon on that guy. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's part of, you know, this very niche internet subculture that not many people are familiar with. So it's, it's good to keep in mind that this is not, unique it's something that's happened it's built off existing cultures as well yeah and 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 so you know maybe maybe people are wondering why we're having a conversation about this subculture um it's not just an online subculture now um it's it's something that and and i think this is something people struggle with particularly when they look at things like donald trump or the new world order thing or QAnon. They say there's no way people believe this stuff. There's no way that people are actually invested in this. But I mean, this is for some people, this has become a religion, correct? There is. And there's actually a QAnon church that was formed in February of this year. And I was attending it for it's 14 weeks, well, 15 weeks, actually, of their services. And that's we're seeing organized religion. It's not just evangelicals who believe in QAnon. There are plenty of those, but this is actually a church where QAnon myth narratives are included in neo-charismatic rituals, and that makes it something entirely different. And yeah, can you... Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no, I was just going to say, can you talk... Because uh, one of your specialties is online radicalization and extremism. Can you talk about the how, how that is involved with QAnon and why it is considering that this is a conspiracy theory that says that America has been betrayed, that satanic child abusers control the world and that everyone is in danger unless a war is waged against them. What, what happens from that? What are the, what are the potential consequences of this sort of an ideology? It's the potential consequences are, are far ranging. I don't want to just fear monger in the sense that there is a spectrum to any type of, threat right um i think it's important to, to maybe point out a bit that QAnon has shifted from just a conspiracy theory to something that is closer to an ideology and part of that is because of the fact that a key thing that's portrayed in QAnon narratives is the battle between good and evil and it's very very well highlighted that there's elements of um theodicy which is kind of a religious element of explaining why good or bad things happen in our world and 
when you're trying to look at that stark contrast, it does make very clear for some individuals that when the world is black and white, it does lead to elements of radicalization. Now, radicalization in and of itself is not a bad thing. Um, you know, you could extreme ideologies, the radicalized process can lead to social change, can have a positive impact. But also it's the step, it's one step away from radicalization to violence, which is where the concern is. And we've seen how, you know, if Q is not providing answers to the individuals, the next step is how do I help Q achieve this apocalyptic reality that he's been promising for years? And we've seen, you know, a couple of cases of this over years, but even most recently was during the pandemic was the case of Jessica Prim, where she got into her car, drove from Illinois to New York in the hope of finding Joe Biden, probably dispatching him. And, you know, it was all built on the fact that 20 days before she got into her car, she had watched a QAnon conspiracy documentary called Follow the Cabal and started digging into Pizzagate and the whole QAnon movement. And 20 days from that first contact with the propaganda, she ended up, you know, being arrested by the police. And that's the type of concern that I think is is kind of a top of mind when it comes to these, the perspective of violent extremism. Just, just as an aside, um, so I, I first heard of Mark Andre's research uh, in an interview, and Fall of the Cabal got mentioned. And I actually that night I spent three hours watching it. And <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I have to tell you, I you know I, because that's one of the things. Not to make light of this thing, right? Because I think there are elements of danger in this. But I went into it expecting, well, you know, maybe it will be like conspiracy theory and paranoid, but I expected it to be um, coherent to a certain, to, to a more extent. Does that make sense? Because it is just, um, it, it, it's like throwing, it's literally like throwing darts at a dartboard and just making connections from that, which is, I think, symptomatic of what this movement is and how decentralized and how evolving it is, right? Yeah, and it's it's something unique to that I found in QAnon in the sense that prior to researching this movement, my research had focused on ISIS. And there's kind of a logic to, you know, Islamic extremism or even like neo-Nazi or white supremacy. There is a kind of logical narrative and a mindset behind these individuals to what leads their belief system and why they would act. Whereas QAnon, it's very hard to understand the impetus for individuals to continue believing in this because like you said it's so far right ranging it's it's kind of like throwing spaghetti at a wall right and hoping something sticks and i've i've had enough time that i could start understanding and getting used to this type of content but they're using like stuff like falcabal to red pill people and start believing this content and the QAnon church for the first 10 weeks they were using you know the 10 segments of this video to educate people into QAnon who are never familiar with it we've seen jessica prim consume and it's one of the you know, the red pilling videos, but when you sit there and watch it, it's just, what am I watching? It It's nonsensical. And it's, and I don't know what is, what is ref that reflects of within our society or within individuals that are being red pilled by that. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the intersection there of, of the two things, because I think there, there's the beginnings of the ideology, the religion of it, right? Because so much of this has to do with evangelicalism and, you know, which has attracted plenty of conspiracy theory narratives that have been latched on. Uh, I, I, I mentioned it before on the podcast in my work that I grew up in uh, white identity, apocalyptic evangelicalism. And it, it was like yesterday, we're taping this on uh, Tuesday, June 2nd. So um, I'm, I'm kind of worried by the time this comes out, this will be more of a prescient conversation than, than we even wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I kind of grew up in that, that 
that culture. And so like it was like last night when Donald Trump posed with a Bible, me and every other ex-evangelical I know saw that and knew immediately that this was a gesture towards apocalyptic Christianity, right? And so here's my question, because we've had, like you said, the, the woman who went to kill Joe Biden, we've had a person break into Comet Ping Pong Pizza in order to, uh, I guess, liberate child sex slaves. And, and, and so what is it, what, what happens with the, the intersection of religion and conspiracy theory and things like an ISIS or a QAnon or something like that that gives it a definitive target in modern times? What is, what is it there that is dangerous or at least combustible, I guess is the better way of putting it. What, what is the combustible nature there? The combustible nature, I think, is usually when you're looking at radicalization of violence, it's an individual in an environment or an individual who is in a time of crisis. There's something that has to trigger an individual to want to act. Now, we're currently, we were just in a period with a pandemic. We're now in an environment where we have a pandemic and race riots. Um, and, let's economic be crisis. And, and economic crisis and political crisis. And, you know, it's, let's be honest, this is not what anyone expected when the ball dropped on, on December 31st going to January 1st, 2020. So we're in a period where there's so much uncertainty, so much fear, and we're seeking answers or we're seeking to act. And I think this is where these type of beliefs are dangerous. It's radical ideologies are an impetus for action. And like I was saying at the beginning, it could be an impetus for good. We've seen it historically on both the left and both the right. Like, let's not single anyone. There's always good for action. It's, but then the threat for violence is always there. And I think we're getting to a point now where this ideology is pointing towards individuals, toward acting for violence. You know, if it's, you know, we suggest she wanted to go save the children that were there. You know, who does not want to save children? But it's the framework where this is presented that's concerning. It's, you know, if these elected officials are part of the deep state, then they're not real elected officials. We could take them out. We want to tear down the government, tear down the establishment. In the crisis that we're in, those are scary subjects to broach, especially when powers that be or influences in the community have a very strong apocalyptic worldview in a population that is already primed for apocalyptic worldviews. And I think that's, you know, that's something we need to keep in mind that a large part of the population is primed to receive these type of messages because of a Christian upbringing, it's Christian culture. Adding that to fear and anxiety is just, you know, you're, you're just throwing fuel to an existing fire. And it's, it's who is who is going to come over, like, who's going to be the, the, the bigger flame? What's going to catch fire? What's going to spread? And it doesn't take an entire community. It takes one individual or a few individuals within that community. Right. And, and I think it's really interesting because it's the, the, the dehumanization of it, right? Like, it's this thing where all of a sudden we have a president who's declaring anyone who opposes him a terrorist. And, and, and you know, especially in, like, the age of terror, you, you kill a terrorist before they kill you. Right. Like, and what I've noticed in the QAnon thing, and this actually tracks with so many of the conspiracy theories I've seen with rising fascism and authoritarianism, it's always there is a threat. We need to take care of it. And so dem democratic institutions are infected and they can't be used. Right. Because the QAnon narrative is that there is there are tons of extra legal matters up in the air. Right. Like like. Trump is a liberty because they believe in Donald Trump, right? I mean, all of this is an ideology that supports him being almost infallible, right? He, yeah. maybe they even think he's Q, some of them, correct? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and he he's he's what the, like when he's what they believe is Q plus. He's Q plus. He knows it's it's not just the Q team; it's actually the president. And it's you're right. It's he's a messianic figure to these individuals, yeah. which as you've written, you talked about yourself. It's you know there's other communities within the U.S. that see Donald Trump as a messianic figure as well, and that resonance just you know it should ring alarm bells to people. Yeah, and I, I that's what I think too because the. Like you were saying, it's like people in crisis and people who don't know what, what is happening or what's going to happen next, they really want some sort of ideology that makes them feel everything will be fine, right? Like, they're, I, all of these Q people, and they're sad. I, I, You know, that's the saddest thing about it. Like, when you look at, like, they're ostracized from their families, they're perpetually depressed that the, the great storm or the, the storm hasn't arrived yet, and they're waiting for some sort of larger thing than themselves to set things right, right? They want to believe that the world has order and that it's not just chaotic. No, and that's that's a key element to it. And it's this, you, ultimately you're going to end up with a group of people that are frustrated. So we're, it, we're in an environment where we can't necessarily discuss with, with these individuals in an internet space. If you know someone who's from QAnon, you could have these dialogues and question their belief and push the conversation. But, you know, having... Anyone that'll doubt their belief is just going to be either part of the deep state or liberal trash or whatever. So you can't have construction conversation. How do you defuse, you know, something, uh, an element like this? And I think this is why I've been trying to, as a religion scholar and someone who comes from a field of research on extremism, it's really trying to frame this in a way that we could explain the threat they pose from either as public health or national security or democratic institutions. And I think considering them... Uh, and uh, like at least some type of religious movement is important, which is why I was recently looking at are they are they probably something called a hyper real religion in the sense that you're taking these pop culture elements, conspiracy theory elements with an ideological system because QAnon has a cosmology, they have a theology, and they have an anthropology to explain how humans behave and grow and change and impact the world around them. And if you're providing all of that, you provide a clear worldview to action. Now, right now, they're happy with being digital soldiers. You know, we just want to type on our keyboards and get our messages out, and we're going to win this because, you know, this is what the Trump team wants. They want to do an information war. That brings a lot of questions when it comes to democratic institution and election year. Yeah. But now we've had four years of frustration. There's no arrest. The deep state is still winning, apparently. You know, every every enemy is the vile, worst human being because of what they do to children and satanic rituals. The next concerning step is, you know, when you're especially seeing a rapprochement between QAnon and some far-right groups is where is there going to be a coalescence of extremist groups and these prime digital soldiers to move offline? And I think it's important to highlight that there has already been at least one case of terrorism related to QAnon. Um, there's a case, what's his name? It's uh, Matthew Wright, the individual who drove his armored vehicle to, on, to the dam, to Hoover Dam. That's a case of an individual who's being charged on terrorist offense based on this conspiracy belief. You know, we've had we've seen an individual radicalize in 20 days. It shows that yes, individuals were in crisis. Yes, they had different situations. I let them, but it's enough that this is an ideology that provides a framework for them to take their online belief to an offline action. And I think that's where the concern is. And the offline action is usually is violent. You know, you've dehumanized your enemy. You're not going to treat them with kindness. You're not going to take. A political solution because they don't believe there is a political solution because the in, like the institutions corrupt. So what does that leave these individuals as an option other than, you know, an insurgent one to rise up and take it into their own hands? And this is the thing is that they're primed for action. So 
I'll finish up with this. I, I think everything that you just said is backed up by fact. I think it's backed up by strenuous research. I certainly think, as a citizen of a supposed democratic nation, that this is something that we should be concerned about, that we should take seriously, that we should keep an eye on, that we should discuss. Why don't we? What is it about stuff like this that we laugh it off or pretend like it's not there? The same thing with like patriot movements, right? Or militias or secessionist or accelerationist. What is it about Western culture in particular and America in particular that, that keeps us from being able to look at this seriously, examine it, protect against it and understand it? Honestly, I think is for when it comes to QAnon specifically is no one realizes the what they are is that they're no longer this funny community yeah. you could laugh at everyone is very used to looking at the superficial movement and this is so absurd it makes no sense it's just weird people that believe this or they're just trying to make money but it's important to keep in mind that their conspiracy theories are being spoken now at the highest levels of power it doesn't mean those speaking them are from QAnon, but it means that the narratives that they have amplified and spread are reaching ears of those who are decision makers. And we've seen it in Italy where a politician was promoting Bill Gates' anti-vaccine conspiracy theories. Like my, I've done my data work during the pandemic. QAnon has played a key role in amplifying the pandemic. It's not from them, but they were a major role in amplifying this. They've amplified a lot of anti-vax disinformation, a lot of conspiracy theories about individuals. And they're creating the groundwork that finds a resonance with those who already believe in them. And we've seen this not only in the U.S., it's been in Canada, it's in the U.K., in Australia, in New Zealand, in Italy, and in Germany, among a bunch of other countries where QAnon is present. A lot of people have been saying with the – I shared a recent dashboard I have on CrowdTangle for Facebook data. People are like, I wasn't aware there was QAnon in Brazil and Latin America. They have a large population. Those are also populations in, in crisis with a populist government. There's there's a confluence of populist politics, of key tensions, a, gro a a shrinking middle ground for political discussions and a huge amount of polarization. But people are still taking these individuals not as a threat they pose, but as these like kooky, tinfoil hat wearing individuals that live in the basement, where in reality they have a huge impact and they find resonance with individuals in the halls of power. And that again Besides the national security threat individuals may pose, the threat to democratic institutions is something to keep in mind where we already have a huge erosion of trust in experts, whether it's academics or journalists or politicians or any other source. And that is something that is another form of you know, violence that's happening to our institutions. It may not be something we'll see now. It's not as flashy as a murder or an explosion. But the long-term damage this causes is something else that I think need, people need to be aware of. And that's also a scary conversation to have for a lot of individuals. No, I mean, it's truly terrifying. And the, these things pop up whenever states are in, incapable of handling their problems. you got to find some sort of ideology to handle the problem. Yep. All right, Marc-Andre, uh, we're so glad to have you. Where can the people find you? Um, best place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, Mark Andre Argentino. My username is at anglerfish. So four n g l three r f one s h. Thank That's, you so much for coming on, Mark Andre. Thank you very much for having me. 
All right, everybody. That was Mark Andre Argentino, an expert in online extremism and the QAnon movement. Uh, I hope you found that informative. Uh, I certainly did. It gave me a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff to think about in terms of what this country is dealing with and, and where we're going. Uh, in the meantime, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the Muckrick Podcast. Uh, if you're interested in more from us, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Sexton. Uh, don't we, forget, we don't really... forget YouTube. They can watch us on YouTube. Oh, yeah, you can come see our, our, our beautiful faces on YouTube. Uh, we thank everybody for listening and all the support. It's really been overwhelming lately, and uh, we, we are just extremely grateful. Uh, people have been asking how they can help out, what they can do for us, if we have a Patreon. We don't have a Patreon, but what you can do if you really want to help us out, share share our, our episodes, tell people about this, like us, subscribe us. Um, I, all that makes a difference. I know that's weird. And I, I know you probably hear it everywhere else, but it actually does make a difference. And, and right now things are blowing up uh, with this podcast and we could not be more grateful. So thank you everyone. Uh, in the meantime, we will be back uh, hopefully next week. We don't have to do uh, an emergency episode this weekend. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, you know, things are getting uh, hairy out there. Stay safe, everyone. Mm-hmm.